Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We're co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We're your hosts, Marlene Stemmy and Andy Blaker. How's it going today, Andy? Hey, it's going well. How about you? I'm doing well. We are on episode three of season four of Cheers. This one is entitled Take My Shirt, Please. It was written by David Lloyd, directed by James Burroughs, and it aired on January 9th, 1985. So our log line is that Diane volunteers at a public television charity auction and suggests that Sam donate an item of baseball memorabilia for the auction. When the jersey that Sam donates is repeatedly not sold and then sold, and then returned, (laughs) Sam goes through a range of responses to his status as a former local celebrity. In the midst of this going on in the bar, Norm tries to entertain a rather dour couple in the hopes of them hiring him as their accountant for their dairy business. And Norm finds that Cliff's specific brand of conversation is a perfect match for this particular couple. We are gonna start with a teaser in which Diane comes in and says hello to everyone. The bar's response is kind of lackluster. They just grunt, not really acknowledging her. And Diane complains that when Norm comes in, everyone yells Norm and welcomes him. And is it too much for her to ask for them to treat her the same way on occasion? So Sam tells her that she's right, tells her to go out and try again. So she comes in, says, hello, everyone. And they all yell, Norm. (laughs) And so she says, that's better. (laughs) <laughs> right. She likes it. You I know? like, yeah, yeah. I like that she accepted it. You know, they just yelled norm, you know. She kind of took it with good humor, took what she could get. Right. So I thought that that was, a, it was a, I thought, again, like a fun little teaser, just quick, but, mm-hmm. you know, entertaining. And it was kind of a nice, it was a nice little moment for Diane, I thought, too. Yes. Norm comes in at the beginning of the episode. So we've just had Diane come in, everyone greets her with Norm. So then Norm comes in and is greeted with Norm. And he's meeting a prospective client at Cheers. This man runs a dairy, and so everybody's making cattle jokes. (laughs) And Norm says, like, this is particularly the thing he does not want. You know, he wants to be, he says he wants to be left alone with the clients. Um, He doesn't want anybody coming over and talking to them. He says he's speaking specifically to Cliff. Because I think Cliff says that Cliff makes some comment to the effect that he's going to be part of this and that everyone else should leave them alone. And then Norm has to tell him, like, I'm, you know, I mean you in particular. (laughs) So Cliff is hurt and offended by this. Which I thought that was interesting that Norm is meeting a client at Cheers, which is kind of his second home. In some ways his first home, but yet he doesn't want anybody there to really acknowledge them. Like, why would he not meet them (laughs) elsewhere if that's the case? He's just that desperate not to bring them home to Vera. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He figures, I don't know. I think he figures, well, I'll take my chances at the bar with these people than my own wife. I don't know. Rather than, yeah, maybe so. It's like, why wouldn't he go somewhere else? But I guess he just doesn't want to, you know, it's a short commute over to that other table. He just doesn't want to have anybody bother them. Yeah. That storyline kind of winds through the episode. And Really, at no point until somewhere near the end does it connect to the main storyline. But I still think it's kind of a, like a funny little aside story. So so we'll kind of keep going with that. But Diane is announcing that she's taking a few hours off, which is characteristic of Diane. 
Carla is immediately livid <laughs> that Diane yeah. is taking more time off for her own pursuits. She calls Diane bleach bag. And then there's a, Sam, there's some point when Sam corrects her and says like, well, I'll, you know, I'll take care of this. And then he calls Diane bleach bag. Like, what is it? Bleach bag. And Diane's working a public television auction. They're selling local celebrity memorabilia. So Diane, Carla, really everybody else is encouraging Sam to contribute something. So it does start with them, you know, kind of egging Sam on to put something in the auction. I mean, in the best of ways, but it didn't start as his idea, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. So he puts his, he decides he's going to put his jersey up for sale, his old um, baseball jersey, number 16. And the next thing we see of, of that is the jersey's been on sale for half an hour, and Carla says that it probably had her her reasoning is very interesting i think as his number one fan because she says that it hasn't sold because his fans are probably clogging the switchboard so nobody can get through essentially is her idea Mm -hmm. and she's really sincere about this that's the thing with her through pretty much the entire episode i think that's interesting is that she just has absolute faith that sam is still famous and has these fans that really want you know a part of him basically oh yeah without fail i mean she is just his biggest cheerleader yeah from from start to finish that's kind of the role that that she was written in for this episode that mm-hmm. was something that stood out to me yeah me too yeah. so now norm is meeting this couple the the brew bakers is the name of the, the couple whom he wishes to represent as their accountant and they look like a real thrill don't they oh they do I from mean- moment one when they walk in and they're it's kind of like drab colors everything just <laughs> kind of dour and the woman immediately says that she hates bars norm is being overly solicitous he's kind of in that um has that nervous you know anxiety going on um and he says that i just have to wait a few minutes before the reservation at melville's is ready basically mm-hmm. and then mrs brubaker says there are a lot of things she can't eat so everything he mentions, right. it's like is a negative. Shot down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. His enthusiasm for Cheers, no. That she doesn't like bars. Melville's, no. She can't eat a lot. Mr. Brubaker says they're both very careful about what they eat. So yeah, this is not sounding fun by any stretch of the imagination. And then Norm, you know, tries to say that he has a sensitive stomach too. And at this point, Carla comes over and says they got the taco flavored pork rinds he loves yeah. so much. Which <laughs> 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 and I couldn't tell if she really was just telling him that and her timing was inopportune or if she maybe overheard it and decided she was going to needle him a bit. But either right. way, it was right. a good connection. Yeah. So yeah. you, I think, had some information on the two guest art actors that play this couple. I do. I do. Well, because the, the, the actress that plays uh, Mrs. Brubaker, I instantly recognized. I couldn't tell you in that moment from what, but she looked very familiar to me. So mm-hmm. um, I'll start with her. The actress is Frances Bay. She, I mean, if you look at her IMDb page, it just goes on and on. A uh, number of, of roles, usually one-off appearances in mm-hmm. almost every TV series imaginable from Hill Street Blues, Seinfeld. I guess she had a prominent role in the fi- final episode of Seinfeld, The Golden Girls, okay. um, a personal favorite of, of yours and mine, uh, The X-Files. She was in a mm-hmm. season two episode of The X-Files. Um, she was in a number of David Lynch productions, the film Blue Velvet, um, the hmm. film and TV series Twin Peaks. 
Um, so just on and on. I mean, I could I could just rattle off uh, so many appearances. Um, she passed away in 2011. Um, but as I said, she had a huge number of, of um, character appearances. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Brubaker was played by Robert Simons. Simmons? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, mm-hmm. Another character actor. He was, I read, uh, a leading stage actor in L.A. So his IMDb credit is not as extensive as the fact that he was had so many theatrical roles. Okay. Um, but he's probably best known for his role in The Exorcist, the, the original film. Mm-hmm. He had a recurring role in Dynasty and um, also a number of um, series throughout the 70s and 80s as well. And he passed away, I think it was 2009. So, okay. There you have it. That's great. That's great. Well, they do. I mean, <laughs> it's weird to say they add to the episode because you'd think that their type of characters kind of subtract from a situation, but it's it gets to be a, a good little ongoing story, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. so. So at this point, the auctioneer, the um, the public TV station is encouraging viewers to bid on Sam's jersey, and he mispronounces Sam's name. And Diane, who's there answering phones, corrects him. So already, Sam's taking a blow to the ego at this point. His jersey hasn't sold yet, and his name is being mispronounced. People don't really quite remember who he is. And the announcer introduces the volunteers um, that are working on the auction, beginning with Diane. So everybody in the bar is watching this. They're watching public TV just because it's Diane to stay on there, I think. Mm -hmm. So... Diane says that she would love to share a joke (laughs) that she was giggling over with one of the callers. And the whole way that she delivers when she's talking to Bob, the the host of it, just this overly, um, I don't know what the word is, solicitous kind of, you know, uh, just very cheesy kind of way of talking to each other, like very hammed up. It's very hammed up. It almost makes her seem like an assistant on a game show or something. I don't know. She's like... It's like, we have a bid, Bob. Like coming when they, in a minute when they do have a bid, like, we have a bid, Bob. $100, Bob. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. yeah. And she's doing it right here, too. And as you mentioned, like when she was talking about sharing the joke that she was giggling with. And so she tell, he goes over. She tells Bob, the joke is, how many surrealists does it take to screw in a light bulb? And he plays along and asks how many. And she says, a fish. And just giggles and guffaws hilariously <laughs> and it's you know it's just it's too much and so watching it in the bar Woody starts laughing Sam just looks puzzled and Carla kind of rolls her eyes and <laughs> Diane just keeps laughing about this joke that she yeah. has told so um, I'll be is, honest I mean, when I was listening when I was listening to that I didn't I get it now that you're saying it, but I, I couldn't determine if what she was really saying was a fish. I replayed it and I couldn't hear it, couldn't understand it. And so I was like, is that what I thought I heard? Because mm-hmm. in which case, I didn't get it either. <laughs> it, yeah, it's what you heard. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So over at the table, we have this one cut of Norm trying to talk to Mr. Brubaker about the dairy game, making comments, and nothing is coming from this. So the only... Mm-hmm really point to that is this conversation's not going well you know it's kind of a non-starter really norm situation with the brew bakers is kind of a non-starter in the same way that this jersey is kind of a non-starter in the auction i guess if there's any parallel between those two stories i think that's probably it mm-hmm. you know um because we go back the auctioneer is describing the quality of sam's jersey like the stitching and the knit and all of yes this. yes 
<laughs> and this is when Diane announces she has a bid, Bob. $100, Bob. And so they sell it for $100. Everybody is satisfied at the bar. It looks like it's a done deal, you know. And Diane comes back in from the auction, conveys the station's thanks, and Sam says it's his favorite. Something about it being his favorite station. And he especially likes the two guys that talk about the day's events. And Diane suggests McNeil Lair, and Sam says no, Bert and Ernie, but he thinks maybe their last names are maybe on there. <laughs> he didn't quite get that. Yeah. <laughs> I assume he's probably serious. I don't know that he's making a joke, but maybe he is making a joke to play with Diane. It's still hard to tell. So Sam is pumped up about selling the jersey, and he's suggesting he donate more items, like his whole Sam Malone collection he wants to donate, basically. And Diane kind of, like, lets him talk for a bit, but when he calls, starts to call the station to do this, she stops him, and she tells him she bought the jersey. And she takes it out. I think she takes it out of her purse, gives it Mm -hmm. back to him. Yeah. Um, which I think, I don't know. I think the timing of that, I don't think she was going to tell him until he started. So it wasn't, it wasn't like she was trying to throw it at his face. I think she tried to avoid that and salvage his pride until he started to make it too big of a deal and contact the station. Cause I could have, I was thinking about this and I could see a time in their past when she might've, you know, tried to hold that over him. But I really Mm -hmm. think at this point she was trying only to help him, and then it got to a point where she had to admit it so that he didn't make a fool of himself. I agree with that. I think it was, she obviously was doing it to kind of spare his feelings in the moment. That's why she bought bought, bought the jersey, and then when he's getting kind of over yeah. overexcited and talking about throwing away all this, which is which is his legacy, basically, the things that are important to him, and, and you know, that's when I think she feels like she needs to step in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sam tells her that seeing the jersey with these other baseball items, really from more famous or actually famous people in the real world, um, got his juices flowing for baseball again, which I I think that's it. I think it brought back that sense of his past that he loved and the sort of like fame and recognition. Mm -hmm. And so he wants her to, you know, take the jersey back. She agrees to take it back, and she says that she will um, leave it on auction until it sells or ends up on Mr. Bobo's table. And this is, I think, the part when we get into the episode when um, David Lloyd shines kind of as a writer. Like, I, I always think he can tell a tale that has a hint of the absurd to it mm-hmm. in the midst of something that's witty. And I, I tend to enjoy that. So in this one, it's Mr. Bobo, who is a chimpanzee that runs the table that at the end of the auction is kind of the collection place for these items that haven't sold. And all, everything goes to Mr. Bobo's table that doesn't sell, and then the, the things are given basically like to the random you know viewers, I guess, of yeah. this telethon. And I thought that this discussion of Mr. Bobo, just the way that they bring him up, was funny because like mm-hmm. Diane, he, she seems even hesitant to say the name Mr. Bobo. He says it kind of with a pause, like Mr. Bobo, and then is telling Sam who Mr. Bobo is. Because Sam is saying something like a dumb animal, you know. She corrects him that he's part of this language study at Cornell, and he has vocabulary of over 500 words. Yeah. And Sam doubts Mr. Bobo's intelligence, but he can't think of the word to express his doubt. So he finally comes up with dubious, which is, I mean, that's a fairly substantial word, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I thought that was a good word that Sam used there. And I think it's I think it's funnier, this conversation about Mr. Bobo, it's funnier 
later on when we hear Mr. Bobo in the background and you think back to Diane talking about how this chimp was so intelligent and part of this language study and all he's doing is like hooting and howling and making animal noises <laughs> but, but Diane has told us that he was part of a study at Cornell. So Sam's jersey back on sale and I this may be the point at which we can hear Mr. Bobo in the background. I'm not sure. I know we do, but I, I, I yeah. don't know if it's a little later on or not. But. Okay. I thought it was. I didn't think it was right after that. But it's at some point when the jersey is on sale and mm. it's not selling and you hear this chimpanzee grunting and screaming and Bob the yes. announcer says I'll be seeing more of Mr. Bobo later in the program. That's what That's it is. Right. Okay. So it does right. connect pretty quickly on that. I thought it was a little yeah. bit later. But so this, yeah, this is the, the famed intelligent Mr. Bobo <laughs> screaming and grunting. So Diane looks worried. Sam goes into his office and Carla, again, like you said, she is the cheerleader. She is so sure that Sam's, all of Sam's fans are going to be after this jersey. She knows it's going to sell. And then, sure enough, we hear announcer Bob say that a lady on the phone wants to buy the jersey for $200. Everybody's excited, and Diane runs into the office to tell Sam and finds him on his office phone speaking in a high-pitched female voice saying he'll pay in cash and pick up the jersey later. Like, okay, I can't even do it. But it's, it's, a, it's a funny voice that he does. Mm-hmm. Diane tells him she doesn't blame Sam for buying the jersey. It's what she did. And he kind of goes on about how people used to cheer when he came out of the bullpen. And those are great days. And she tells him that, you know, he has a real job. He has friends. And then you have your health, she says. <laughs> Which he finds offensive. I think it's oh, a yeah. sign of pity to tell someone that they've got their health as if that's all they have. So he gets fired up. He decides to put the jersey back at auction and how he has, has, he's going on and on about how he still has some pride and self-respect left. And in that same instant, he immediately turns, he's calling the station, he immediately turns and speaks in that same high voice. He's like, hello, I'd like to return that young man's jersey. You know, yeah. <laughs> with all of his self-respect. I thought that was funny. I thought Ted Danson did a great job doing that voice as well. Yes. The timing of that was good. Yeah, I liked I liked this scene between the two of them. I mean, he's obviously he uses the phrase that this is like pity talk, and he's 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 very yeah. much offended by what she says. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a passe thing to say, but I don't think she meant it, you know, vindictively or anything. But then in the way that this foreshadows the scene at the end of the episode, which mm-hmm. I I think is a is an amazing scene. Um, okay, I I liked how that that threaded through. Yeah. So we go back to the Brubakers. Norm comes downstairs from Melville's. He's telling them a joke. And Mr. Brubaker tells him, tells Norm, he's never cared for jokes in which animals speak. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a really particular class of jokes to not like. Uh (laughs) So again, this is not going well. And they're going to leave. Norm talks them into staying. I think that he, you know, gets Mrs. Brubaker interested in a glass of water. And so they agree to stay and talk about business. <laughs> that was another. I just love the way you say that. He gets her interested in a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> right. Among her many interests, including dairy farming, she loves water. A glass of water. Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so he begs Cliff to come over and talk. And Cliff, I, in some ways, rightly responds like, who, me, the laughing stock, the windbag, the boob, you know, gets on. Mm-hmm. And Norm apologizes for what he said to Cliff earlier. 
Um, and he said, <laughs> Norm says that these people are like dead people without the rouge. <laughs> that was a great description. Yes, it was. It really was. Everything yeah. about them. The, uh-huh. the drab colors, the, 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 what seems like a costume, it, it's spot on. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and the pallor, you know. So Cliff, he refuses until Norm tells him that um, he found out over dinner that both of their fathers were postmen. And Cliff is like, postal brats? And kind of perks up. He just can't resist, you know. Right. And I wasn't sure if Norm made that up or was it just to kind of get Cliff or if he was serious. Because it seems like that would have been the first thing that he would have mentioned mm-hmm. to Cliff. But it seems to be true because Cliff steps over to the Brubakers and says, so your parents wore the colors. <laughs> the, right. I love it, the colors. <laughs> And Mrs. Brubaker takes to that, says she didn't follow her father into the service. Um, <laughs> so we already know that these people are of like mind with Cliff, you know. Yeah. It says that Henry is in milk. Not the milk, but just he's in milk. He's in like, milk. He's in he milk. deals in milk. In milk. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes them seem kind of colicky, you know. Too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but Cliff says it explains the lovely complexion, which one would rightly think was made to the speaker, who also happens to be the woman. And so she blushes and says, thank you. And Cliff says, like, oh, yeah, yours too. And then he starts in with, like, the milk and cattle trivia and the history of cattle and so forth. The Brubakers are delighted. And so he yeah. sits down to keep talking with them. <laughs> so it's I, I like that because it's like the, you know, one of the rare applications of Cliff's personality and made up trivia and interest in different topics. Yes. That just bonded him with another human being <laughs> or two other human beings. I want to go back real quick though, because uh, <laughs> Norm had a real quick line. Um, I, I missed it the first time I watched it. Um, after he, you know, proposes coffee and, and, and I think it's her, I think it's Mrs. Brubaker that says mm-hmm. it keeps me awake. And he says, I can see why you wouldn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> and it, it kind of gets lost in the you know, right. audience laughter or whatever, yeah. but it's just a real quick, he just slides that in. Yeah, I, I do I remember it. that now. That's great. It goes with the whole, his whole metaphor of them being dead people. Dead, you're right. Rouge. Like yeah. the less life you have to live and fewer waking hours. <laughs> you can see why you wouldn't want to be like, that was good. Let me go back over, back over to the auction. The announcer Bob is saying there's still no bids on, he calls it the jersey that time forgot. <laughs> It's just, it's funny because it is funny, but it, yeah. it does. It just keeps going on and on and on this whole, it does, you know, back and I know. forth. Yeah, it does. And it's just more and more offensive to Sam, I think. And all the comments that they're making, like first, you, you know, the beginning is one thing when it's not selling. And then they start talking about the quality of the fabric and the stitching. And then you hear the chimp in the background howling and so forth. And now he's calling it the jersey that time forgot. <laughs> it just exactly. gets worse. Yeah. And so Carla, she's changed a little bit. She says out loud that she thinks the jersey will sell, but behind Sam's back, she asks Woody how much money they've raised. Mm-hmm. And then Woody says, and this is one of my favorite parts, he said $116 and a pledge for a quart of buttermilk. <laughs> and that's just, the implications of that are hilarious. I yeah. think it's a great 
clever crossover from the other storyline because it's like then you know that they've gone around the bar to everybody and even this couple that looks like they've you know until they met cliff looked like they've come from the dead and that he even contributed to this but he contributed a pledge for a quart of buttermilk to go to right. in an auction like they're bartering on a fa- you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it was great i just really there's something about that that tickled me mm-hmm. so sam finds out and it also it just I'm now thinking about it. It reminds me of the episode in season one with the poker game with Harry the Hat, where Cliff tried to bid um, a sheet of stamps. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's again like people of like mind. He's going to bid a sheet of stamps back then, and Mr. Brewbreaker is going to pledge a quart of buttermilk for an option. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I just love it. So Sam finds out. He gets upset. And then he hears that they're moving his jersey to Mr. Bobo's table, the table to make room for this ingenious potato-powered clock, which gets a, a chuckle. Sam says, that, you know, he talks about this being the end of an era, he can put his career in perspective, and he says, you know, he was a small player in a big town, and then he says he's um, no longer Sam Malone, ex-baseball player, but Sam Malone, ex-ex-baseball player, which I thought was an interesting perspective on how he's seen himself. Like, for all those years, he saw himself as an ex-baseball player who was still attached to it, you know, mm-hmm, and now mm-hmm. he's moving on from that. I thought that was a, a, a really good way to, like, an insightful way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like this scene where he kind of just, you know, is kind of facing a reckoning with it, right? Mm-hmm. But he seems, in that moment, you know, wise and, and accepting of what it is, and he's got his arm around Diane, and he's you yeah. know, kind of almost becoming, a, a, a trying to cheer up the people who are on his behalf, you know, all around him, kind of disappointed, you know, yeah, for him. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, I, yeah, I, I liked, that was a good moment for him as a character. Me too, yep. And he's kind of accepting this life that he has. Mm-hmm. And then Bob announces a $300 bid on Sam's jersey. And Sam throws his arm up, and he's like, all right, I own this burg. <laughs> so right. just sucked right back into it. Right, right. Um, and asks, he asks if anybody bought the jersey, and then Woody says, no, I promise, And then, but he wants to know if they've raised enough money for the potato-powered clock. <laughs> <laughs> so his interests have moved on. Mm-hmm. So Carla now, still in full cheerleader mode, suggests that Sam call the shirt's buyer to have him come over for an autograph. And then Woody says they could take pictures and send them to the newspaper. Um, Diane thinks it's a terrible idea and that this is a last desperate grasp at glory. And meanwhile, the Brubakers are just very enamored with Cliff. They're leaving. And Norm wants to know if he got the job. And Cliff doesn't know. But he's going to their farm that next weekend. What was it for, like, Yahtzee and... Something yeah. like that, like some yeah. Yahtzee and charades and, and all charades sorts of things. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just things that really what he said really fit what I would imagine that that weekend being like. Right. And he's going to ask them then. And he's just really gotten to know this couple, and they just are delighted by him. Yeah. It's an interesting twist there, since Norm is usually the one that is everyone's favorite. So the buyer of the jersey comes into cheers. His name is Bert Simpson, which I think is funny now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I doubt it meant anything at all at the time. Right, but it's funny in the pre-Simpsons um, world. Exactly, there was such a thing. <laughs> so Sam's ego kind of takes over. This is really the only part in the episode where he's a bit unappealing. I mean, I know he can't quite help it; it's just who he is. But he talks about how this must be thrilling for Bert, and asks if Bert saw him pitch at Fenway or on TV and so forth. And Bert says he's never heard of Sam, and he admits he's not even a baseball fan. And he says, I wouldn't know a baseball from a meatball. <laughs> and Woody, 
I love this line. Oh my gosh. You want to do this it? It's great. Yeah. So he says, um, yeah, he, I wouldn't know a baseball from a meatball. And, and, Woody, and he, you know, you, you got to see it because he's looking around at everybody. He's like, yeah. whoa, catch me having spaghetti at his house. <laughs> he's yeah. got that kind of smirk on his face yeah. looking around like, hey, I made a funny, you know. <laughs> he is, but I think he's also not quite following the, you know, <laughs> conversation but no that was, right right that was hilarious <laughs> yeah i yeah. like that line <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's kind of it's it's unexpected he just says it with such boyish excitement yeah right? like yeah. spaghetti night you know it's just like <laughs> right just yeah as though he's gonna be having a meal at his <laughs> it's, yeah it's just his delivery is perfect yeah so Sam is a he's a bit uncharacteristically rude to Bert, telling him like, "Well, why don't you just let me sign that and you can get the hell out of here." He never <laughs> talks to people that way. Um, Bert seems unfazed. He returns the jersey to Sam, says he thought he might want to have it back, and that he bought it because Sam asked, "Why did you even buy it?" And he, he's like, "Well, frankly, it was getting on my nerves." <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he's like, "The way he says, like, I'll put that thing out of its misery." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then he just kind of chuckles, like he doesn't get the the import and how insulted Sam is becoming. He's just Sam is more and more distressed by this, but Bert gives him the jersey back. So jerseys come back home, and Sam immediately drags Zion into the office, and she tells him it's the short thing has been an emotional roller coaster, and she can tell that he wants someone on whom to vent his anger, which she denies. Says, like, do I look angry? You know. <laughs> and he's essentially giving her a chance to say, I told you so. And she recognizes, you know, he's trying to goad her into criticizing him so that he can explode at her. And so he wants her to tell him he's a big dope. Keeps saying this. So Diane finally haltingly says, well, maybe you should. And then he just blows up. Uh, she can't keep her mouth shut. She thinks she knows everything. He goes on and on about how she's not going to make him crazy. She thinks she's going to make him crazy, but she's not going to make him crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really escalates quickly from calm to just ranting and raving mad. Right. I think Ted Danson is really good at that. On the occasional story when Sam has to be just suddenly excitable, he does a very good job with it, mm-hmm. I think. I really liked this scene. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's just, he's almost jumping up and down. And, yeah. And, but, they both do it so well because he does and he just he doesn't stop to take a breath but she's also it almost looks like shelly long's trying not to laugh there are I, a couple I don't parts yeah you're right yeah because she's she's kind of on one hand she's stoic you know the face is you know but 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 there's a hint of a smile there she's just like you can just see her thinking i'm you know just gonna sit here and take it and let him have his moment and we'll be done mm-hmm. so and I like that about Diane, because again, back to one of the things we were talking about earlier, I don't think that Diane a few years ago would have taken that so impersonally, but now it's mm-hmm. just, you know, that's she's accustomed to that having been part of their history and just the way that he is, and he's going to carry on and then he'll be finished. Right. So I like that she did not latch on to the things he was saying and respond in kind, because that mm-hmm. was kind of that back and forth that started to get on my nerves when that was going on over and over in season two, you know? So I like that she's yes. moved beyond that. Yeah, for sure. So Sam storms out of the office and Diane calmly gets up after a moment, walks to the door as Sam comes back in and just like very kind of formally and politely says, thank you. She replies anytime. 
And I, that's why I loved it. That just cemented the whole scene for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, he's saying thank you, you know, playing your part. And she's just like, yes. you know, yeah, you're welcome. And yeah, I love that. Yeah, I do too. I like that understanding they have of each other. Yeah. And that, like, he finally, it's almost like he finally convinced her, like, I need you to play this part for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was really good. What other thoughts did you have on this episode as a whole? As a whole, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, I think the whole auction shirt thing goes on maybe a beat too long like mm-hmm. maybe just if it had been trimmed slightly but overall it was it was really enjoyable and it was the for me it's the little moments that make it make it the whole you know like, like mm-hmm. you pointed out with this slightly surrealist bent with with mr bobo um right. and um you know sam calling in as a woman to to place a bit on the jersey <laughs> right. and then and then the the, the subplot with the brew bakers and it, it it all that i probably preferred the subplot with the brew bakers um just mm-hmm. because of of the acting and the, the writing there but i think the way it all f- flowed together i i enjoyed it yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do too. I agree with you about it. The Jersey Park going a little bit long. And I know that was part of the point was to string Sam along. But right. I, I I was thinking watching it that there are some similarities in that storyline to Don Juan as hell. Just in the way that I, I guess like the way that Diane's a part of it and the way that Diane and Sam are sort of working through some of these things from his past and so forth. I don't think this is as serious as that was, you know, but... I thought that the plot was maybe a little too, like in this one, was a little too thin, whereas the mm-hmm. in Don Juan is hell, it's maybe a little more substantial to mm-hmm. maintain the story. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there's a big connection. It just seemed like some of the things were we'd seen in a different way in that episode. The Brewbakers, I like that because there wasn't this, you know, as much as I do like the sort of the, the character exploration amidst the humor in Sam's storyline, I liked that the other storyline was just quirky and funny you kind of enjoy it as it was and i do think that they complemented each other and i kind of think that norm in that story and sam and his story have some similarities that are um that are kind of interesting too Mm -hmm. so you bring up a good point with the connections between um don juan as hell and this episode um i hadn't really thought about it but um yeah that's really interesting to think about Mm -hmm. anything else I'd say it's a strong episode. I, I enjoyed it. It's got some real, some real fun moments in it. The ending for me, I, I, this is mm-hmm. probably the, the, I've enjoyed this ending. Well, let me rephrase that. I think this is a very strong ending for this season mm-hmm. in terms of the episodes overall. Yeah, I do too. It kind of does give a good summary to the, the storyline, I think. Mm-hmm. That will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. 
We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Stimmy and Andy Laker. How are you doing, Andy? I'm great. How are you, Marlene? I'm doing well. I'm excited to get into episode 14 of season four of Cheers. It's an interesting one. It's titled Suspicion. This one was written by Tom Reader. It was directed by James Burroughs, and it aired on January 16th, 1986. So the log line is that a mysterious man that is in the bar perks the interest of the Cheers gang and then sparks their suspicions of each other. When Diane later reveals that she's arranged the situation as a psychology experiment, the reaction of the rest of the gang raises Diane's suspicion that they're out to get revenge on her for this trick. We're going to start, though, with a teaser that centers on Carla. And at the beginning of it, Carla's having trouble remembering a drink order. And Norm, Cliff, Sam, they're noticing this at the bar. And she goes through this list of her troubles, basically. Sick kids, no sleep because the neighbor's dog went into heat at 5 a.m. She's working a double shift. You know, all of the things that are kind of her travails of her life. So Sam says that this situation calls for drastic measures, and Nor- it's Norm that asks G6. So this is clearly something that they've done before, because Carla says, oh, no, not G6. And Sam goes over, he puts a coin in the jukebox, the song starts playing, and Carla immediately starts dancing in front of her table. She's at a table with her back to the audience, and you see just like her lifting one shoulder in rhythm, and mm-hmm. then two, and then she just goes for it, and she's dancing Around the bar, she twirls with Norm, um, kind of twirls up onto the like the little platform area at the top of the bar, twirls with Sam at the jukebox, and then she just yanks the power cord out of the jukebox um, and basically goes back to being her sullen self after that. Mm-hmm. That was the entire thing, was like just this automatic dancing, happy dancing behavior when Sam plays this song. I loved this teaser. This was a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. I the only thing I have to say about it is I wish it had gone on a little longer. This could have been an entire segment, and I think it would have been perfectly enjoyable. I do, too. I agree with you. A lot of the times, the short, sweet teasers are really good, and you don't want them to go on, but this one, I wish that it extended more, because I thought it was just so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And Carla just really going for that dance. Rhea Perlman did a fantastic job, and it uh, it was just great. Do you know what that song is, by chance? I do not. Okay. I didn't recognize I don't either. it. It sounds like one that would be familiar, but I didn't recognize what it was. So when we start the episode, Sam's coming out of the office. He has dropped his bottle of cologne on the floor of the office. Um, and Diane comments about him swimming in it or something to that effect. He says, no, he dropped it on the floor. And then he complains about wasting $2.50 on the bottle of cologne that he yeah. dropped. Um, so She's like, know. ooh, it was the big bottle. The big bottle, right. <laughs> I thought that was a fun, because it really, like, narratively has very little to do with the episode. It does come back again, but it doesn't, you know, it's not a, a central part of the plot. But I thought it was a, a, a fun beat on which to start the episode, though. Yeah. So Carla says that the Three Musketeers is coming on, um, on TV. And D- Diane has to comment. She talks about the translation from the Dumas, is it Pair, Dumas Pair novel? And mm-hmm. Carla and Sam, you know, she goes on about, you know, good for you. Of course, it doesn't compare in this way and that way, but such <laughs> and such. And Carla and Sam are actually talking about the Three Stooges, which becomes clearer once they get into a description of what they're going to be watching. Yeah. And so Diane is um, 
expected, as we would expect, she's disappointed. She challenges them to spend the afternoon doing something that requires intelligent thought. <laughs> and then we have this joke at Diane's expense, and they ask what, and she says she can't conceive. And Carla says, we can all breathe a sigh of relief about that. Yeah, that was a great comeback. <laughs> it was a good, well, the comeback required intelligent thought. You know? yeah. So they did do something. I mean, you have to be on the ball to pick those things up. Oh, you know, yes. that right there is intelligence personified. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you that's that's witty, you know, that's right, right. And wordplay, all of it. So yeah. yeah, I agree. So they've done their intelligent duty and they're gonna go on and watch the Three Stooges, apparently. So it does set up this whole thing of like Diane's tastes versus their tastes and so forth, you know. And it's just fun. And Diane says that watching people can be interesting. She asks Sam if he ever makes up stories about people he sees in the bar. And he immediately says, nope. That's just a nope. <laughs> and they go on through this conversation, and she seems to think that he lacks imagination. And she even, I think there's a point when she's talking about, like, well, what is that couple? Who, who is that over there? And he's like, it's two people having drinks, you know. And he's like, well, use a little imagination. And he says, like, it's a man and a naked woman. <laughs> Which is not, of course, what she meant by imagination. But... I think that he just minds his own business and lets other people live their lives. I don't think it's necessarily that he lacks imagination. No. That he doesn't speculate into the lives of his patrons. Right. That's what helped. That's the way I see it, at least. And I think that's the way that he is through the initial part of this entire plot before he kind of turns. So, mm-hmm. anyway. At this point, Woody comes in with Norman Cliff, and he's excited about what they've gone to do. They've taken him... <laughs> to watch the Greater Boston Women's 10K run. And Cliff says, Diane kind of groans, I think, about this. And mm-hmm. Cliff says, it's inspiring to watch a bunch of women excel in a sport in which, until which only recently they've been barred from competing. And so Diane is, you know, thinking a little bit better of him. And then he says there wasn't a bra in the field. And Norm <laughs> adds that it was an awfully chilly morning. <laughs> right. So they've gone to watch these women run in the cold. Crude comments, but it's kind of an interesting history. And it's interesting mm-hmm. when Cliff mentions like that they've so recently been barred from competing in this sport. Because this was, you know, early 1986. And I knew, I, this just struck me this time, because I knew that the first like women's Olympic marathon was in 1984. So it's not been that long ago, you know. Um, right. I mean, like I remember, I was very young, but I in my lifetime remember 1984. So it's just odd to think of that being the first time women were allowed to run a marathon. And I looked up and found that the Boston 10K for Women started in 1977. It was known as the Bonnie Bell Mini Marathon. Hmm. And that was, I think, the start of the first 10K races for women in the United so States. So at, at the time of this episode airing, it was just under 10 years later, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so yeah, that is, I think that's relatively new in terms of, that's really interesting to think about that. It is. It is. A little bit of running history there in the episode. I like it when they do things like that. Like, they don't go on about it, but there's a, like a little historical mention that you right. can look back and enjoy. So Carla, at this point, Carla doesn't care that they've gone to watch these women run, for one thing. (laughs) She just starts talking about getting coffee for the very severe-looking gentleman that's sitting at the table um, over by the outside stairs. And she says that the man doesn't talk, he doesn't smile, 
she says something else like he won't look her in the eye and then she makes a comment about like it's like almost as though I'd slept with him or something like that she says yes almost like someone I slept with and Sam just says he's not bothering anyone that's kind of Sam's thing it's just you know do your own thing don't bother anybody and Carla insists that the guy gives her the creeps and then she notices he's writing something and again like Sam is like he could just be writing a shopping list you know just let him be and Diane is kind of, she's amping this whole time. She's kind of amping up the story. She says she likes to create little stories about people in the bar. And Woody says that the guy's probably a writer or a poet. And he hopes the guy is not writing about a boy and his dog who roam through the countryside doing good deeds and drinking beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's the story that Woody is writing. Right. I thought that was, it was funny that he came up with that specific example when asked, like, well, what is he writing about? It's like, well, I hope it's not about a boy and his dog who roam through the countryside. <laughs> it seems like a just the kind of book he would write, doesn't it? That yeah, seems like the quintessential Woody Boyd book. Oh, it does, right. It does seem like what, something Woody would, would write about. Yeah. So Sam, again, insists this guy is minding his own business and that they should as well. And... Then we have Woody saying that he's, you know, he'll go ask the guy what he's doing. They decide because the rest of the people decide they want to know what he's doing. Woody says he'll ask him. He is a Midwesterner and he has this down home charm that he thinks is going to be disarming. So he goes up there and he introduces himself. I just think this is great, Woody <laughs> introduction. Woody Boyd from Hanover, Indiana, the placemat capital of the world. And he even kind of has like a little hand gesture when he says that. You know, it's just his presentation I thought was fantastic. It's just as though that's a very significant thing. Place my capital of the world. Right. And he tells the guy his parents' names, his favorite color, it's blue, and then he saved all his baby teeth. <laughs> I was like, well, how about you? <laughs> and then this man tells Woody to go away. And Woody's kind of has that sort of like happy, dumb expression on his face. You know, at this moment, like he doesn't know what to say, and then he just kind of pauses and turns and walks away. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny, but it's just his reaction to it. It's like, all mm-hmm. right, you know, and goes, all off. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he tells Sam that he's lived kind of a dull life. You know, he thinks about it. So Diane sees this man fiddling with a cigarette lighter and asks what he's doing. Um, and Cliff says it's not a cigarette lighter, but it's a Roloflex espionage camera. So Sam, which is, of course, what Cliff would think. Sam says that just because the guy looks like a spy, acts like a spy, doesn't mean he's a spy. And Norm's like, I think it pretty much does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then Diane, she keeps, again, keeps prompting. She says that it isn't unheard of for an individual to be surveilled. And one thing I thought was another kind of historical thing I thought was interesting is that she says, as soon as you get into a computer, hundreds of organizations have information about every aspect of your personal life. So again, this is like early 1986. <laughs> Quite prophetic, isn't so, it? So yes, and looking back in you know late-ish 2021, right? You think like, what on earth might she have been talking about then? Then, now, when you didn't but, even, I mean, I guess back then you the internet there was such a connecting. thing, right? right? But you didn't have it at home, right? Most, yeah, you weren't connecting you, you to anything outside. In. I wouldn't, you know, I mean, unless it no. was some sort of like very high, like a, like a personal computer, you wouldn't be connecting to like the internet, like you said. Right, right. Or hacking, like all of those things. But it's just, she did, you know, hundreds of organizations, all kinds of information. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. 
so Norm asks if the guy could be with the CIA or the FBI, and then Cliff you know, hates to say it, but he adds the KGB. <laughs> yes. He enunciates every letter. Yes, he does. <laughs> like that's the, the the worst possible scenario is the, right. the KGB. And the most likely, you know, that right. a KGB mm-hmm. agent is going to be in a, a Boston bar. Yep. And so Sam, at this point, Sam says the guy does have a detective look about him. So Sam is finally relenting, being pulled into this speculative exercise mm-hmm. and intrigue. So Sam is reviewing what they know about this guy. He says that he's been at Cheers since they opened, and he's not drinking, and he's not waiting for a table upstairs. And he said he had four things, and then he realizes that's three and asks for a fourth thing. And Diane says, you're an idiot. <laughs> and Sam's like, that would be four then. But like, I didn't understand. Did you understand why Diane was suddenly so derisive of him? Because the whole thing was her idea. And right. then now she's like, well, um, you're an idiot. I, I yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess the only thing that comes to mind is knowing what comes later. She's purposefully trying to stir the pot and, you know, amp right. up the level of paranoia. And by calling, I mean, if their if their history is any such indicator, you know, calling him an idiot seems to kind of, you know, it, it doesn't phase him too much, but it mm. might kind of prompt him to think farther about this, and you know, it doesn't deter him. D- exactly. Right. That's that's a good. That's point. That's the only thing I have to say on that. But okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, I did want to. I I think this was a um, a couple you know short scenes back, but um, mm. back to the idea of surveillance. Um, she says that I, I think she I think uh, Diane says to Woody, um, you you could be bugged. Or something. Someone says you could be bugged, and then Woody says, "Now that I think of it, I am a little ticked." (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's right. He did. (laughs) And that was after he had gone over and tried to talk to the guy too. So yes, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Woody. Woody has some great moments in this that just get better and better. I think that's certainly one of them. Norm thinks that if this man is a detective, that he must be after one of them because he came in when they did, and if he they've been there all day, of course, and if the man were after someone else, he would have followed that other person out, but he's still there, so it must be one of them. And so Carla is going to go to the hallway and place a call to distract this man. So he'll come to the phone, and then Cliff is going to run over and see what he's been writing this entire time. So Carla calls... Woody answers the phone. <laughs> yes. Says, who, who may I say is calling? <laughs> Carla, like, slams, slams the phone receiver up. against the, like, the phone box. That was, <laughs> yeah. That was, was great. great. And so Woody calls the man, you know, to the phone. Um, and then Woody, <laughs> the man tells Woody to take a number. It just gets better and better with Woody. Woody the man tells Woody to take a number. And Woody just kind of has that same smile. And he says, five? Five? <laughs> Which is not, it's not related to anything, but it's just the way that he plays that that I think is so funny. It's just disarming, you know, to anybody else, I think. He just, I don't know, he has these great comic moments that build on each other, like the who may I say is calling and then take a number five. (laughs) So the phone call does not work out so well. Cliff's trying to see the notes, but the guy didn't get up. So Cliff's just kind of standing over in the corner. So he wants to huddle in a private place. The office is out of consideration because of the spilled cologne. So we have that little tidbit coming back around. So maybe, I mean, perhaps that was the part of the plot that was necessary to get them all into the ladies' room, which would be far funnier, I think, than if they're in the office. So maybe that was it. I don't want to know. 
explanation. Although they could have gone in the pool room, but maybe there were people in there. So they decide, though, on the ladies' room, Woody's going to stay at the bar, and they're going to go, like, person by person. So they file in this line into the women's restroom. <laughs> and uh, Sam wants them to space out, you know. I, it, I don't I just, I think that's so, it's, it's funny already, just the way that they're doing about this. Right. And the way they're lined up in the women's room. Um, and then this entire scene is just, it's unusual for Cheers, but it's just, it's almost like a little play. And it kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the movie Clue as well. Yes. Yes, it does. Did you see that? Okay. Yeah. I do. I, I do. Love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts on it before we go through it? It, it very much seems like a play. I had that in my notes. No, oh, okay. Um, and I hadn't thought of the Clue analogy, but that absolutely works. No, I mean, it, it I think it's most I think it's interesting to think about in light of what comes next, you know, knowing mm-hmm. how this in a way is kind of being orchestrated. Yeah. Um so no, I at this time, I mean I, I think I think it's most interesting to look back on it and see how it contributed to what happens next and you know, in yeah. terms of psychological experimentation or whatever, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> okay. So basically Cliff says that he bets it's Woody. He just starts off. He thinks that yeah. Woody is the person this guy is either looking for or perhaps working with him. He's like, well, what do we know about him? And Sam is like, that's ridiculous. They all think it's ridiculous, particularly Sam. But Cliff's talking about how Woody came off the street out of nowhere and Sam hired him. He didn't have any kind of, you know, resume, any kind of information. And he thinks he's a, he says he thinks he's a plant. Yeah. That was another thing that reminded me of Clue. <laughs> that Mr. Green being a plant but mm-hmm. at any rate Cliff thinks he's a plant and Carla adds only from the neck up <laughs> so they're making fun of Woody who's not in the, the bathroom with them mm-hmm. so Norm doubts that Woody is a plant and Cliff says that maybe this man has infiltrated the bar to keep tabs on Norm so mm-hmm. then Norm adds they're all just like one by one you know, I mean Cliff starts this part out but they're all getting suspicious of each other Norm asks if Cliff thinks he's some sort of crooked accountant and goes on about that. So they're fighting. And Norm says that the man might be a postal investigator. (laughs) And he says, you haven't bought a stamp since the Johnson administration. And I'm talking about Andrew Johnson. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love love the presidential references, Mm -hmm. but that was a very funny one. That was Mm -hmm. another good, good and clever reference, I thought. Yeah. So Cliff protests and says he's been a postman for 11 years. <laughs> he's talking about the post office. And Sam steps in, tries to mediate as he does, tell them to relax. And then Norm fires back at Sam, calling him Mr. Love him and leave him, and saying that this man might be sniffing out a paternity suit on Sam. So they're all just <laughs> bickering at this point. Mm-hmm. And Diane says they're getting carried away. Carla says something about, and this from the woman who toured Europe on her back. So it's like, it's getting to be a free-for-all in the women's bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was just a really well-done character, verbal comedy, you know, mystery scene. So I, I don't know. I, re- I really like the way this was done. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then Sam decides at the end that the man is upsetting the bar, he's upsetting his patrons, so he's going to go and find out what he's doing. He doesn't say he's going to kick him out. He just says he's going to find out what he's doing. So I really, that was a unique scene. I really liked it. Yeah. So Diane chases after Sam. Sam's going up to ask this man what his story is. And Diane interrupts and says that this man is a friend of hers. His name's Irving. 
He's her friend from psychology class, and he's assisting her in an experiment about paranoia. <laughs> so I did note that this is the second recent example of Diane bringing her psychology classwork into the bar. <laughs> following Don Juan It as went hell. so well the first time. Right. She just had to repeat it. <laughs> right. Right. The human sexuality class, that whole thing was a winner. So then she brings the, you know, experiment on paranoia into the bar as well. Right. So the idea is to introduce a foreign element into an established secure environment and watch the ensuing behavior. And it's interesting she describes it that way because later on when she's kind of worrying herself about whether or not she's a part of the bar, that kind of describes her introduction into the bar too. The hmm. foreign element into an established secure environment and the ensuing behavior. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the entire, you know, first five years of the show to a degree, I would say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like that parallel. But, and this is just, you know, experimental, experimentally inclined me thinking here. But the problem is, like, Diane was not an objective. So her, her scientific behavior, I think, is suspect because she was not an objective observer. She affected the outcome and basically encouraged the behavior. So anyway, I'm, I'm calling into question the veracity, validity of her experiment. <laughs> not that that's the point, but, you know. I see a problem there. And Fraser's not there to correct her, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> so anyway, she says that she's she's kind of has that capitulating tone at this point. Like, she found the experiment extremely interesting and highly educational. Like, didn't you find it extremely interesting and highly <laughs> educational? You know. And we have this image of Sam and Carla and Cliff and Norm, and they all look rather angry, and they're kind of staring at her in a block. And... Sam says, we don't get mad. And then they all, as one, <laughs> turn on their heels and walk yes. away. I love how they performed that. Mm -hmm. Loved it. We kind of have an interesting break in the episode. And I know that you had like a brief mention of the actor that played Irving. His name turned out to be. And Carla even says something about like we went nuts or gaga or whatever over a guy named Irving. Irving, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's actor M.C. Ganey, um, who, this was actually one of his earliest roles. I don't know much about him at all, but I'm looking on the ever-reliable IMDb, and mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was one of his early roles. He's, he's still working pretty consistently, has since the 80s. Um, in terms of what people might know him from, uh, again, probably not at all looking like how he does in this episode, but he was mm -hmm. a recurring character on Lost. Um, he has been in many, many kinds of movies, um, mostly smaller bit roles. Um, he was in a episode in 2001 of our show, The X-Files. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to just bring that up every possible every, opportunity. Right, of course. And um, let's see what else we got here. Just just a bunch of different things. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. He looks like a guy who would be in Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Designing women back in the... He's been in oh, many yeah. different shows. Um but I was surprised because um, he just looks a lot different in what I've seen him in, like mm -hmm. the X-Files, than he does in this episode. So. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I think it's interesting, too, just the way this episode is structured, because this is really, this, this is half of the episode, this part before the break, but the entire story is essentially resolved. Like, that first part of it is resolved. There's nothing that's yeah. left to go into the second part, really. Right. Um, and I think that's an interesting way of telling a story, at least interesting for Cheers, because we haven't really seen, I don't think we've seen that quite that way before, where you have one story and then the second part 
is the continuation, but it really is almost like a part two or like the fallout of the part one rather than being, you know, the episode that's just has a time break in the middle, you know. Mm -hmm. So when we start the next part, Norm kind of, he's passing Diane. He just kind of gently touches her back and says, pardon me, Diane, as he passes her in the hallway. And Diane's asking her customer if she has anything on her back and she's paranoid. She tells this customer that she's expecting the people at the bar to get even with her. And then she starts to tell him, she's like, I brought a man in. And then she becomes suspicious. She's like, why are you so curious? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mind your own beeswax. Right, right, right. She does say that. You know, like she goes off. Like, why, why are you actually interested in what I'm talking about? And then it's just, I think that this is like, it's like one example after the next, or like one little incident after the next of this behavior of hers. And I, it's a little unrealistic, but I think it works really well. And it's very funny. So the next part is Woody offering Diane one of two muffins that he has bought and brought to work. And he's so friendly about it, you know, and, yeah. he's like, she's like, well, which, and she's like, well, which one do you want? Mm-hmm. And so, she, you know, she takes the one that he wants and he's happy to let her have it. And so then when he doesn't object, she's like, well, I want the other one. He's happy to let her have that one, too. <laughs> and so she takes the, the whatever the one she got was and is kind of like breaking it as though there's going to be a bomb or something in it. She's breaking it up and just basically like breaking it all over the floor. Right. Right. And she makes a comment to Sam. Sam walks by. She's still doing this, and he's just kind of drinking a cup of coffee. And she makes some comment about, like, the feel of warm muffin in the morning. And Sam asks if she's nervous. I wonder at this point, because Fraser comes in. And so I wonder, like, has Diane been doing this the entire time? Like, we've seen these, like, now two little incidents of her paranoia. But I imagine mm-hmm. it must have been going on for a while if Fraser is coming in because Diane has already called him. Right. So oh, probably. Yeah. So it's like, oh, what do we miss? I bet there were some funny parts <laughs> that we didn't get to see. So Fraser was in apparently in Denver, but came back because Diane called him was the implication that I got from this. Yes. Yeah, me too. Okay. And Fraser says that he dreamed of this day. So he thinks that Diane wants him back. Mm-hmm. That's why he came back so quickly back from, from Denver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And she disabuses him of that notion. And he tries to cover by saying, like, it's like, oh, it's this Tuesday. I, by dreaming of this day, he meant that he dreamt of Tuesday. <laughs> it's like, poor Fraser. Yeah. Poor Fraser. So Diane explains the situation and says she's obsessed with this idea of everybody in the bar getting back at her. And Fraser thinks that Diane wants therapy. And she's like, no, I want you to spy on them. <laughs> Which is, again, more of like Diane being a part of the bar than she's been in the past, I think. you know, mm-hmm. Of course she doesn't want therapy. She wants Fraser to spy on them. So he's really, I, he's just off base in terms of what Diane wants from him, I would say. Fraser's telling her she takes everything so seriously and how he is happy-go-lucky Fraser Crane and he's much happier now. I'm glad they brought Fraser in to do this bit. This and there's another scene with him coming up. I I do think it adds, I don't think it takes away from the overall plot. And it was like a nice little inclusion of him, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So at this point, we have a, like, it basically looks like a film crew coming into the bar as Fraser and Diane come out from the hallway. And Sam says they want to talk to Diane. They are from public broadcasting. You know, we saw public broadcasting in the last episode as well when Diane was on um, the charity auction working there and so forth. Um, but now they are at Cheers because a professor of Diane's sent them some of Diane's poetry. And the network thought Diane would be a g- great guest for their program, Boston's Working Poets. 
So Diane seems, I thought she seemed genuinely honored until Sam says it's great, at which point she becomes suspicious. Right, right. Yeah. And Sam has offered the pool room for Diane to recite her poetry for the TV cameras. So (laughs) she is, um, I guess, like formulating in her head how this is going to go or what this is about. And Sam shows the crew to the back to set up. And he's just going back there. He recites to them, so nice of you to drop by Cheers, where I serve the public many beers. <laughs> he's, he's auditioning for it. Yeah, I love that, though. He seems kind of amused by his own poem. I thought that was yeah. really, there's something about the way he did that I thought was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Diane and Fraser are having another conversation, and Diane is telling him that this is basically a ruse, you know. And Fraser tells Diane, he doubts, he says, the collective intelligence of them could have devised this complicated a ruse. <laughs> so it's like all of their intelligence together could not have come up with it. So again, right. it's like the, you know, the armchair intellects mm-hmm. commenting on the common people. Right. Downright, I mean, insulting kind of, you oh, know. very and, much. Yeah. Yeah. Collective intelligence of them. As though they're like an ant colony or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like they're... Exactly. Animals. Diane is sure this is their revenge on her. They're going to mock her later. You know, she talks about how they're going to play this back and be like drinking beer and throwing snacks or whatever at the screen. So she has this, I think what she thinks is a high-minded plan to one-up them. So Frazier, he's still obviously hung up on them being together. He's like, what a pair we would have made. Two irrepressible zanies. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Which, I mean, he's the least zany thing, but he does a good job in that part. So that's, again, why I was glad that we had him for a little while. Just for that yeah. line, two irrepressible zanies. <laughs> Woody, again, I think Woody just gets better and better through the whole episode. He asks what kind of poetry Diane is going to recite. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> do you want to tell this part? Um, I, I didn't You better. I'm going to okay. misquote the poetry, but I love this part. Yeah. So Diane, and Woody's just genuinely interested, of course, Diane comments, she's like, oh, Woody, because she thinks that he is in on this, too. And she says, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. I'm saying this, you know, kind of admonishing Woody. And Woody mm-hmm. just simply says, like, I hate to burst your bubble, but I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. And I, I wrote, like, he's hitting the target with all of his comments in this episode. Mm-hmm. So Diane's getting set up to recite her poetry. TV crew's ready, and the camera's on Diane, and she talks about how she's going to begin with a poem called Ode to Cornish Hen. And then she proceeds to imitate a hen. And the TV crew, they, the, the people recording are just like kind of looking back and forth at each other, you know, right. as you would. And Diane just continues clucking, <laughs> like, which I'm not going to imitate, and kind of <laughs> sticking her neck out. You know, so that seems extreme. But then the scene switches over to the bar watching TV. And this is obviously later on in her performance. So she's now clucking and flapping her arms furiously. Chicken. (laughs) And the bar is watching and laughing. And you hear Diane's voice, this is hilarious, instruct Sam to turn off the TV. And he does. And everybody's disappointed because they were getting a big kick out of her performance. Yeah. (laughs) Then Sam leans down because she must just be like, crouching below the bar Mm -hmm. in mortification. He lands down and asks, what did you think you were doing up there? (laughs) (laughs) I like how he delivered that. Almost like you're talking to a small child, right? Like bend over, like, you know, 
What yeah. did you think you were doing up there? Like, what's going on in your head? <laughs> yeah. But he is. I don't think he was mocking her. He's kind of genuinely curious. Right. But it right. is like he's talking yeah. to, like, what What were you thinking? What, were you do- <laughs> what did you think you were doing up there? <laughs> the sympathetic voice makes it even funnier. So Diane doesn't think it was a real show, and she thought that they made it up as a joke to get back at her. And Sam's like, oh, I wish we had thought of that. Right. You know. Right. So... Like, back to Fraser's comment about their collective intelligence. Like, Sam's almost agreeing with him a little bit right there. Like, I wish we had thought of that. (laughs) Diane (laughs) says, sorry, Diane says she made an absolute ass of herself. And then Norm's saying, no, it really, you know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't that bad at all. I'm trying to kind of just normalize it or whatever. And Woody's comment is like, heck no, I've known chickens who couldn't do that as well as you can. (laughs) He hits it again, right? Uh, yes, yeah. that's what I thought. I was like, that yeah. was the capper. Woody just mm-hmm. got better and better until that point. I mean, I was <laughs> such a, who would think to make that comment, but it's perfect that Woody made it. Right, right. And as somebody that's not as involved in the plot of Suspicion, that's why I just think Woody is my standout character in this episode for his side comments and yeah. his efforts. <laughs> So Sam's trying to tell Diane it's not a big deal. And I thought this was really, this got to be interesting right before the end. She admits it's not just the show, but that she felt good that they were going to this trouble to get back at her like they would with each other. And she was thinking of herself as one of the gang. Um, And, you know, we've talked a little bit about Diane being more part of the Cheers gang this season. And that's kind of how I think about season four is like she seems to fit in a little bit better and so forth. Mm So now she's upset that they're still thinking of her as an outsider. And so Sam apologizes. He tells her to go to his place, like meaning his office, and lie down and take some time to feel better. And when she goes in the office, everybody watches. Carla goes over and pulls a rope that dumps this bucket <laughs> of water on Diane's head. So Diane comes out, like really simple payback method, you know. Diane comes out soaking wet and exclaims, I love you guys. <laughs> and that's it. There's a lot going on in that episode, just from the narrative structure of it, and then also the kind of the switch in tone um, between the two parts, and then when Diane talks about feeling left out, and then the ending. So where do you want to go to next? This was just a really, really enjoyable episode for me. I, I yep. just thought from, from start to finish, it was it was a lot of fun. And it like you said earlier, it's interesting because the episode plot as as first is first introduced kind of wraps up midway through and then kind of we 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 kind of go off in another direction with her um you know paranoia if you will of her own Mm -hmm. um but i i just think the i think woody's one-liners make it you know just make it that much better and um, the the TV crew, I thought, showing up and, and yes. with her chance to 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 recite her poetry, and she just butchers it, and just everything mm-hmm. about it. I just thought it was a really well done, um, very enjoyable episode. The teaser, I mean, I feel like the rest of the episode could have sucked, and that teaser would have would have moved it up for me. <laughs> yeah, was a really that was a great yeah. teaser. So I just I, there's so many elements that that we've kind of already gone over. And I just think from start to finish, there's so much that's that's to enjoy. I do too. And I think that we've talked in the past about episodes on occasion that will have a story that will start where one, like you'll have two different storylines, let's say, 
course, mm-hmm. one will start as the primary story, and then it kind of resolves itself while the secondary story is just going along, and the secondary story kind of becomes the primary story, and it seems a little bit disjointed as an episode. Like, there are mm-hmm. a couple we've talked about where that's been the case. Like, not bad, but just not having the same flow through the entire story, maybe. Right. And yeah. this one, I think, really works. And I'm, it's all, you know, I mean, it's because it's the same story, but it's almost like a mirror. The second half is a mirror. The first half, the first one resolves, and the second one is just that same, the same story, but in an entirely different direction. But I just think that right. they did that really well. I thought it worked really well, writing-wise and acting-wise and everything. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I would say that seemed off in any way is the ending seems a little bit like an afterthought kind of just to come up with something to end the episode like where Diane goes in the office and the water falls on her head because it's such a just a simple like that's it kind of ending you know and I guess maybe it's the buildup of the it's, it's almost like a mystery comedy and then a suspense comedy like you don't quite know what's happening in either side of the story like in the first part or in the second part and then just to have it be like a bucket of water at the end seems a little bit mm-hmm. less than it should be not bad, but just not as original as the rest of the episode. I would agree with that. I mean, it is kind of a whole tub water on the head, you know, trope that's right. been done a few times. I'd, I'd right. agree with that. But it's such a small, I mean, it's the end, so it's kind of like that's how it ended. But, right. I mean, it's, you know, 20 seconds of an episode in which just about every other moment is perfectly executed. So I, you know, it wouldn't diminish it or I can't complain about it because of that. But I, and I don't know how, I mean, I can't think of a better way to do that, but I just, I, I think I was expecting something that was a little more clever, mm. but it's, it's fine. It's just not one of the best endings. And to me, it's one of like my favorite episodes this season so far, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is definitely a standout for me so mm-hmm. far. Yeah. And I forget that, too, because, I mean, obviously I've seen it before, but I forget. It's weird. It's like I forget when I start watching it how the episode goes mm-hmm. until we get to the end of that first part. Because I'm just involved in the storyline about the man, and then I forget that it goes on to be different in the second half. <laughs> um, right. But then I also forget how much I like it, because I think of it as just being like, oh, yeah, there's this guy. I remember, you know, that it's Diane's psychology experiment, but that's really all I remember about it. And I forget some of the, like, the great parts and the, like, the funny lines and so forth, too. Mm. So, yeah, I would say, like, the teaser, just Woody's contributions, the, even a little bit of Frasier and Diane. And I like that it's kind of a whole cast episode. Like, it's very main cast-centric, if that's a term, you know, without... It's got the other man in it, but it's all about discussion of him. So they're all interacting with each other the entire time, and I really like that, too. You mentioned one thing a second ago that I think is an interesting... Like, that could be another interesting point. It's, like, Diane kind of got herself because she had this one opportunity to recite her poetry which is what she's wanted to do and present it to the public mm-hmm. and she ruined it you know so there's that aspect of it of the episode as well yeah yeah i mean you know public tv it's not probably a huge audience but it, no, you know but that's kind of her you know her exactly she arena. had the opportunity and she was so paranoid by you know what what she thought was happening in her mind you know and Mm -hmm. yeah I I, I thought that was kind of interesting that she kind of blew that whole opportunity for that yeah and I think it's interesting too at the end that they had this sort of confession from her that she really in a way was happy that they had gone to this trouble to get back of her like she went to get back at her Mm -hmm. and that she you know that she can tell that she's feeling like she's more one of the gang and then 
really felt dismissed or not part of the gang. So I thought I thought that was interesting too. It's like each thing has a lot to it that you could unpack, but it all right. like flows together well. I thought. Right. I'd say too the scene we've already talked about it, of course, but the scene in the bathroom where, where everyone just kind of starts sniping and going after each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you know um, uh, Norm, you know, blasting Cliff for you know mail fraud, and and him blasting <laughs> Norm for his creative accounting, and oh, right. and how Sam's you know the, the idea of a paternity suit got me because again I I thought that too. Oh, you know, kind of surprised we haven't had that as a plot point yeah. up to this point in the show, <laughs> yeah. given his you know proclivities but um it just like they're, they're they're all going after each other and 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 what they perceive to be like a a character flaw for lack of yeah. a better term and so that was that was fun to fun to watch mm-hmm. this is one that you could watch again and again and really enjoy in mm-hmm. different parts of it different aspects of it i think Definitely. and probably pick up more little nuances along the way yeah that will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening.